So let me start off by telling you about two gentlemen. Uh, little Billy is nine years old. And he goes down to the local Walmart. That's what the Fultz is called, Walmart, by the way. He goes down to the local Walmart. He wants to buy a toy for $20. Well, little Billy only has $9. And so he cries a little bit, but ultimately he says, well, I'm short on money. I guess I can't have that toy. Good job, little Billy. Big Bill, however, is 39 years old. And he goes shopping and he wants a toy that costs $1,000. Well, unfortunately, Big Bill doesn't have any big bills. Um, he is broke right now. So does he say, well, I guess I can't buy that? No, he doesn't. He pulls out the old plastic, the old MasterCard, and he puts the toy on credit and he pays through the nose on interest. Now, neither of these are desirable situations because when we want something, we want something. We don't like telling ourselves no. I don't like telling myself no. But when you look at this situation, who is the smartest? Is it little Billy or is it big Bill? Now you say, Josh, that is an oversimplification and you're right, it is, um, but I'm a pretty simple guy. But Josh, financing and, and debt and using debt wisely, this is a complex issue and there's a lot to wade through, you are right. But here's my question. When we look around at the average American, I wanna ask this. Are we handling our finances well? And are we using debt wisely as a nation? Now, what's the answer to that question? It's a resounding no, we are not. Let me give you another example. My son Hayden, he will be 12 in November and he loves to work for my dad. My dad pays him. Um, I've noticed this, that my dad pays better now than when I was a kid. I don't know if that's keeping up with inflation or, or what, um, but my son loves to work for my dad. My dad, you know, gives him, gives him some, some coin to spend. And uh, there was one particular time Hayden was wanting to save up for something. And my dad said, I tell you what, I'll give you, an, I'll give you an advance on your pay. And so he gave Hayden the money up front so he could go buy what he wanted to buy. But he owed my dad eight hours of work. And I'll never forget, he came home after about four hours of working toward what he'd already been paid. And, and he told me, he said, dad, working really stinks when you've already been paid for the work. And there was one of those teachable moments. And, and he's right, work becomes much less meaningful when every dollar is already spoken for. So last week we began a series, we called it Dollars and Cents because when it comes to our dollars, we can use a little bit of sense. And common sense, I have seemingly noticed, is in short supply in our country, one might argue in our world. But the amazing thing to me is scripture has this wealth of wisdom and knowledge about every topic in our lives. Any aspect that touches our lives, scripture has something to say. Now I know talking about money makes people uptight. Even in our own personal conversations, money makes us uptight. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna shake it off and we're just gonna enjoy our time together and we're gonna see what God's word has to say. And I'll be honest with you, I don't particularly love talking about money um, just because of the stigma that goes with that. Well, I'll tell you what, them churches, that's all they want is our money, right? Um, we, we said this last week that God isn't so concerned about your money, but he is really concerned about your heart and how you manage your money says an awful lot about your heart. Jesus spoke about money an awful lot. And let me say this too, I'm thankful that in my Christian walk, especially coming into adulthood, that some people love me enough to sit me down and talk to me about 
money and being a good steward of our finances. And let me remind you of this, money is one of the top problems within marriages. And so as we talk about money, we're doing a little bit of of marriage counseling in here as well. And so this morning, we're kind of picking up where we left off last week. Last week, we talked about materialism and what we treasure as Christians. If you want to know where your heart is, it's with your treasure. And if you follow the money trail, it tells you an awful lot about your heart. This morning, we're going to talk about a dirty word called debt. And debt and materialism are sort of linked together because the more we we live a life that gravitates toward things, the more we typically go into debt for those things. And so this morning, I pray that today is helpful. I pray that it's a reminder or at the very least an encouragement. So let's start off here. What does the Bible have to say about debt? The first thing I want us to see this morning is that we are wise to avoid debt. Let me read to you from the Proverbs, so much wisdom within the pages of Proverbs and Psalms. They're called wisdom literature. Proverbs 22, 7 says this, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Now, let me say this, scripture does not forbid debt. And so if you owe someone some money or you're considering going into debt for something, there's nothing in scripture that says debt equals sin, that you're sinning if you're in debt. But the Bible has a lot of practical wisdom. And as a wisdom principle, I believe it teaches that debt at large should be avoided. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Now, to be fair, to look at context, um, these passages were not written to us in modern society under a capitalist system. They were written to ancient Hebrew people and the Hebrew people were not to charge one another interest on loans. Now, they could charge foreigners interest, but not one another Yet, they rarely held to this and often people were abused and lost their property or they became indentured servants to pay off their debt. But I see this verse as a warning to me and I think to you about the way that we manage our money. And the language here is strong. Debt locks us into slavery. Just ask Hayden. He experienced that, having to work those eight hours. But I think this, friends, and this is to be honest with you, I think we have become a nation of slaves. I think we've become a nation of slaves. Let me give you some statistics. 72% of Americans say they are burdened by debt. Now that includes their mortgage. 66% of Americans are in consumer debt with an average of $34,000 per person. 45% of American families have credit card debt, almost 50%. And the average credit card debt per American is $6,000. Now, I don't share that to make us feel bad or to condemn us, but just to point out that as a culture as a whole, we lean toward materialism. And because of that, we lean into having more on our plate debt-wise than is probably comfortable or helpful. Now, what else does scripture say about debt? Well, I think it says this, that Christians repay their debts. You hear a lot of talk about this in society right now, whether certain loans should be expunged or not. But here's what Psalm 37, 21 says. The wicked borrows, but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. Now, I believe this is what scripture teaches me and you, that as a Christian, I'm responsible for my debts. 
If I borrow something, I am responsible to pay it back. Now, does that mean people can't be gracious and forgive your debt? No, that doesn't mean that at all. In fact, I've been the recipient of that as a dad of two girls that frequently have medical stuff going on. Um, we have accrued financial debt due to hospitalizations and surgeries and the like. Um, and I have had situations where the hospital says, hey, we understand your, your situation here. We're just going to wipe this clean. Hallelujah. That's amazing. But I think Christians should be responsible for what we borrow. If we're going to borrow, we should pay it back. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. And you see this contrast here of one who swindles and one who gives. You can figure out where the Christian should land. We should be the givers. Why do we go into debt? Let's ask this question. I'm going to give you three broad categories of why we go into debt. Number one, emergencies. Number two, necessities. And number three, I wanted ease. Now let's talk about each of those. Emergencies, here's, here, let me be the first to tell you, unexpected things happen. They happen, unexpected things happen. Sometimes debt finds us even when we didn't want it. And I have been there. As, as I said, I have two beautiful daughters. Um, we have had an unexpected medical journey with both of those. When our, when our daughter Hadley first got sick, we spent a month in Texas Children's Hospital and um, living out of home, eating out every day. We stayed in Ronald McDonald House, if you're familiar with that, which was a huge blessing. But there was no way we could have been prepared for that journey when we landed in the hospital. Now, I will say this is, again, as a part of just a testimony to God. When we landed in the hospital, even though there was no way we could have been preemptive in what was going to hit us, the Lord provided for us in those moments. Now, isn't that amazing? And I could tell you specifically, unbelievably, that God went above and beyond. Because me and Devin, we're sitting in the hospital, Hadley's um, in the PICU on a ventilator. We don't know what's going to happen. And people just show up and they'd say, hey, here's a couple hundred dollars to eat the next couple of days. On and on and on and on and on. I can't tell you how God has provided for our family in moments of necessity. But Murphy's Law says this, if it can go wrong, it will go wrong. It's not a matter of when, of, of if you're going to have an unexpected financial emergency. It's when you're going to have one. And so we should prepare for those. We'll talk more about that in a bit. So emergencies put us into debt sometimes. Sometimes it's necessities. Now I, I understand that there are large purchases that can be difficult to afford outright, like a home. Um, Sometimes it's hard to, to save for that. Most people finance their home. Many people finance vehicles, and I understand that. I'm not being unreasonable, and I don't think God is either when he says the borrower is a slave to the lender. But here's where I think we have to have some serious conversations. We say, I, I need a new vehicle, and, and we probably do. Does that mean that the new vehicle we need needs to be a $70,000 ride? And we, we have to count the cost here. Uh, now, again, I'm not telling you what to do. And maybe you're in a place where you can afford that. And if so, high five, keep going. But in the Fultz household, we drive used vehicles. Now, why do we do that? Even if I had the money, we'd still buy used vehicles. Now, here's an insider secret. I have found this, that used vehicles will take you places. Isn't that Amazing. And they take you there for a little bit cheaper. Now, again, if you have a brand new vehicle, I'm not picking on you. I have bought new vehicles in the past when I was younger. But now I've arrived at such a place where God says, hey, here's how much money you have. And I want to be a good steward of what he's given me. Same thing with a house. You have to count the cost. Um, what can I afford? What can I reasonably live in? Now, buying a used vehicle, you may not look as cool, but I gave up on cool in high school, right? 
Um, those days are long gone. Uh, but I don't like having that note just strangle me every month. You have to count the cost. Now, to those of us here that are in our late teens or college years or early adulthood, understanding how to be a wise steward of what you have now will free you up 20, 30, 40 years down the road. Unbelievably. Now, I'll give you a little bit of testimony. What my wife and I did when we got married, um, we, were, we were broke, we were graduate students, um, graduate school students. Uh, my parents, when we got married, let us live in a little apartment that they had toward the back of their property and we lived there rent free. Oh man, how nice was that? But what we did was we lived like paupers. And we just kept cramming money in savings and cramming money in savings. Friends would say, hey, I want to go out to eat. We'd say, hey, you want to come over? We'll make you some sandwiches. And some people took us up. Some people didn't. But I tell you that to tell you this. What we did as young people, and I say this to encourage our young people, is we lived like paupers and accumulated a pretty good amount of money. And we bought our home with that money and owed very, very little on our home. Um, it's possible to live a life with little to no debt. Even though our society tells you that it's, it's impossible. Now, why do we go in debt? We said um, emergencies, necessities, and we also said the I wanna these. Um, this category is completely avoidable. It's completely avoidable. Wants versus needs. Sometimes our wants get put over in this need category because we are Americans and we deserve this. Well, if we do, we deserve the debt too, right? That comes along with it and all the stress. I think sometimes there's this idea of having to keep up with other people. Now we say only kids do that. Only kids buy things to keep up with other people. Really? We adults do this too, don't we? Where we, we want to have a, you know, a certain look and then when that thing goes out of fashion, we have to go buy something else to kind of keep with the pace. Everything comes with a price tag. And we need to understand too that debt is not an income problem. A lot of people think this, well, if I just made more money, I wouldn't be in debt. But what do we see? We see that as people's incomes go up, their standard of living goes up and they stay in the exact same place. That's why Proverbs 27, 20 says this, death and destruction are never satisfied and neither are the eyes of man. We live in a materialist society and we consume, consume, consume and we want, we want, we want until finally we have to get to the place where we tell ourselves, you know what, enough. Like I have more than I need. Now, real quick, let's talk about this. How do we make margin? How do we pursue this debt-free path, this, this lifestyle? Remember when you were a kid learning to color, what do they tell you? Stay between the lines, right? Then you start, you, you, you go up through grade school and you can start writing and penmanship. I don't know if we practice penmanship anymore, uh, but you're writing on this paper and your writing would get smaller and smaller and smaller as you try to stay within that margin. I remember last, uh, two Decembers ago, me and my family drove to Colorado just for a, a Christmas vacation. And we drove through these mountain passes where I could look over the ledge, but luckily there were these guardrails there as well. There's something about having margin that just helps you sleep better at night. And we need margin in every areas of our lives, how we manage our time, how we manage relationships, but certainly how we manage our finances. And maybe you say, well, what is financial margin? It's the space between where you live and what your limits are. Where you live and what your limits are. So 
if, if you make $3,000 a month and your expenses are $3,000 a month, you don't have any margin and you are scraping up against the guardrail. And eventually you will have more month than you have paycheck. And that's where we get ourselves into problems. So let's talk about creating margin. And I'm going to be up front with you. I'm getting a lot of my information from Dave Ramsey. If you've ever done Dave Ramsey or his Financial Peace University, there's a tremendous amount of value in that. Um, I'm also drawing from personal experience what I've learned from people like Dave Ramsey that have changed my life financially and helped me sleep better at night because I don't have all this financial stress on my plate. And I'm also keeping tension of the Bible verses that we've looked at, that the borrower is a slave to the lender. And so how do we create a life of financial margin? Real quick, let's look at a few principles. Number one is that you have to budget. Now, there are two types of people in this world, those that love budgeting and those that absolutely abhor it. Some people say, I don't feel like I should budget because it makes me feel trapped and I have to give this money here and this money here. Here's what I have learned. If you don't budget, you will feel even more trapped because you have no idea where your money is going. My wife and I have budgeted our entire marriage, 14 years, once a month. We meet together at the beginning of the month and every dollar we make gets a job. One of those jobs that it gets is to support the local church. That's on the top of our list. We give to the church. We use an app on our phones called You Need a Budget and it's live. Every time she goes to Walmart and spends something, she enters it in and it subtracts it immediately and I can pick up my phone and know exactly where we are. Keeps us from having to communicate so much or balance things. Um, budgeting is the first step to finding margin. It shows you how much you have. It shows you how much you have left. There are no surprises. Budgeting also means you anticipate expenses because I've noticed this, that tires wear out. It's planned for that that my kids' feet keep growing for some reason and they wanna keep eating every day. You gotta plan for that. Have to think ahead. And so part of planning ahead is the next thought that you gotta plan for emergencies. Now this is Dave Ramsey's, his famous seven baby steps. This is baby step number one, that the first thing you do to create margin in your life is you save up $1,000 for an emergency fund. And maybe you say, well, that sounds like so little. Or maybe you say, wow, that sounds like so lot. I don't know where you land. Um, but saving up an emergency fund helps take some of the pressure off because eventually something unexpected is going to hit. And so at some point you will have an emergency because t cars break, hot water heaters blow up, appliances go out, medical expenses arise. So what else do we do to create mar margin and move toward debt-free living? Well, the next one is cease and desist. Stop accruing debt. Stop, um, you know, tear up the credit card, live within your means. If everything you make is spent every month, we'll start selling some stuff or bring your income up because eventually you are headed for disaster. It also means this, tell yourself no, but I really want it. Do you have to have it? It's hard to tell yourself no, but it's even harder, I think, to be on the end of financial pressure every day where you're trying to balance things and make ends meet. You know, when it comes to cease and desist, one thing that me and my wife do is we do this. It makes us feel better about ourselves. Whenever there's something that we want, we tell ourselves, I could have that, but I'm choosing not to. I could go out and get a credit card just like everybody else, and I could have that and take it home tonight, but I'm choosing not to. How else do we live a life where there's financial margin? Dave Ramsey would say this. This is his baby step number two is pay off your existing debts. Pay off your debts. Now, I will give personal testimony. 
Um, my wife and I, we live here. The only thing we own is our home and uh, some, some medical bills, which is part of it. It's just kind of become a part of our lives. Um, but outside of that, we have no outstanding debt, haven't for years. And let me tell you what, the unbelievable benefit of that, I cannot even put into words especially for your marriage and your family. Now, Ramsey says this, pay off your debts. He says to do what's called the debt snowball, where you get a pen and a paper. You write down all of your debts, smallest to largest. And every month you pay the minimum on all of the ones on the bottom of the list, but the smallest debt, you throw everything you have at it, get it paid off, and then you go down the list. When my wife and I first discovered this, we walked through these steps. She had student loan debt. We had different things to pay off, and we haven't looked back since. And it's been such an incredible blessing to us. Pay off your debts. Then what? Well, I'm going to stop here, but if you're familiar with uh, Dave Ramsey, he has seven steps, and you can take one of his classes. We do those here sometimes. There's some information in the Home Point Center, some books. If you say, you know what, today is the day that we need to make some changes, check out some of the, some of the suggested reading. Now, we are down to our last point this morning. I want to talk about just briefly the freedom of a debt-free life. There is no other freedom like going to bed at night, aside from spiritual freedom, knowing where you're going to spend eternity. I think second to it is being able to lay your head on your pillow and know that tomorrow, if something catastrophic happens, you lose your job, that you and your family aren't going to be homeless and that there's some cushion and there's some padding there. It's an incredible, incredible blessing and feeling. Now, I just want to walk you through a couple of thoughts of the freedom of a debt-free life. The first one is this, debt-free living reduces anxiety. We live in a society that's incredibly anxious, and I get it. There's a lot of things going on in our world, but you can take some of these things off your plate, one of them being financial stress. Marita, statistic, nearly half, that is 46% of Americans, say their debt level creates stress and makes them anxious. Among the generation, 64% of millennials reported the most stress and anxiety, followed by 52% of Gen Xers and 27% of baby boomers. Now, the top two financial stresses across generations are one, not having a safety net for unexpected expenses. You can fix that. Number two, not having enough for retirement. This is why we have to be a good steward of what we have now. Debt-free living also improves relationships. Every marriage counseling session that I do, money always comes up always comes up. Now, I'm not saying you're never going to have another discussion about finances if you're debt-free, but I promise you this, it sure relieves a lot of stress. Debt-free living lets you give and be generous. Psalm 37, 21 again, the wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. You can't give and be generous if you're squashed down by so much debt. So we have to be good stewards. We're commanded to give all through scripture. No man can serve to masters. But also this, as we close, I want to remind us, Christians are made to live in freedom. We shouldn't be slaves to anything. We have, the sin and death have been broken in our lives. We're no longer slaves to those things. Neither should we be slaves to substances or pornography or food or money. You know, some of us have spiritual freedom, but we live in financial bondage. And I don't think that's what God would have for our, our lives if we're honest He wants us to be a good steward of what he has entrusted us with. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. This is some incredibly practical stuff. Scripture is incredibly practical. But I've noticed this, practical is not always easy to implement. 
And so this morning as we close out, I just want to ask you this question. What step is God calling you to take in the realm of your finances? What is the one step this morning that God is calling you to take in the realm of your finances? Maybe it's a conversation. Maybe it's uh, just a conversation with, with, with God. You know, I'm sorry, Lord, that I have been a slave to debt and stuff. And I'm going to do something different today. Maybe it's a conversation with your spouse that, hey, you know what? We need to make some changes. We need to be intentional about our money. We need to manage our money instead of letting our money manage us. Maybe it's we need to start budgeting. Maybe it's we need to do some reading because we need to learn more about how do we live a life of margin and move toward debt-free living. Maybe it's working on an emergency fund. Maybe it's paying off some debt instead of continually accumulating. Now, here's what I know. Conversations like this can make us feel overwhelmed. But here's also what I know. Guys, I am not the sharpest tool in the shed. But I was at a place where I owed some, some things. And God used people like Dave Ramsey and other people kind of showing me how to live. And I was able to, to change that and be in a different place. And if I can do it, Anybody can do it. Sometimes it feels overwhelming to take the steps that Christ has called us to take. But here's what I know. If he calls you to do something, he will enable you and equip you to be able to do it. So what is the next step financially in wisdom that God is calling you to walk down? I pray that you would do this, that you would take that step and that you keep walking until you're in a place of financial freedom. And then God will have other plans for you when you get there, but we have to be obedient. He didn't, Jesus didn't come to deliver us spiritually for us to be financially in bondage. <laughs>